This is The Wine World, a wine show where we interview wine people from all over the world. My name is Hein Johansen. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Wine World. We've been so lucky to have Andreas Adam with us from Drön Neumagen in Piersport in uh, the Mosel. Welcome. Yeah. Hi, I'm Andreas. You've been making wine since the year 2000 and you were 21 years of age when you started. That's right. Yeah, that's now 20 years ago and... Yeah, we are now in the 21th vintage with the vintage 2020. Yeah, 2000 was the first vintage of our new old winery. And how did you come about this winery? It's or It was a family running a winery, but my grandfather, he stopped the winemaking in the early 80s because he had, only, he had two daughters. And during this time, it was really, really hard for women uh, to continue a winery. There were some political things are changing and then we had some wine problems in Germany, in Austria. And it was not really common during this time to continue a winery or to build it up again. And then step by step, he sold vineyards. Our idea was it then with the vintage 2000. The idea was a little bit earlier in the vintage 1999 uh, to, to start it again, but only with a hectare. And then we can look or we, we looked on it and we, we say, okay, maybe it runs well and then we can step by step increase the, the hectares again for this winery. And you're in the Mosel Valley and it, in the Mosel it's been traditional to make more off-dry styles and sweeter styles. Most of your wines are on the dry side. In former times, so when we have a look to the, let us say, into the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, uh, wines were more sweeter and today we have a changing there. So in our estate, we have today more than 50% dry uh, and then a little a little part of dry and then uh, the, the, the noble sweet ones. And of course, when you have a look to other wineries, this is the same. So Mosul is getting drier and drier. And this was in the past. And when we are talking about the past, this is 100 years ago, Mosul Riesling was dry, drier than after the Second World War. But this has also to do with some technical things. Um, 100 years ago, it was not possible to bottle wine with natural sweetness. Okay, they had sulfur, but they had not the filter system. And um, because of this, they have to wait for a dry wine or with a little bit residual sugar and then they bottle it. But we are talking about 100 years ago. Would you tell us a little bit about uh, your style of winemaking? How, how do you make wine? What techniques do you use? you use uh, wooden barrels or stainless steel and, and so on? Yeah, it's a winemaking like um, in the former times, like the grand-grandfather did it. It's low-tech production. 
We ferment everything with um, natural yeast. We do no finings, no enzymes. Then um, it's uh, for the better wines, for the higher qualities, fermentation in wood barrels, in bigger ones with thousand liters. These are old barrels. And then for the basic wines, it's more stainless steel tank to keep the freshness, the acidity, the minerality. Your um, village, it's just south of Piersport, but a very short while. So it takes, uh, I think we used five minutes or so to drive to Piersport. There are some very well-known and very good vineyards around the Piersport, but also there are some of the collective sites of the uh, Grosslagen that are well-known not as much for the quality, but maybe for the quantity, like uh, Piersport and Michelsberg. What do you think about how the brand name of Piersport works with that uh, difference in quality on one side and the quantity on the other side. For Peaceport, for this well-known small village, it was in former times important, this name. But today I think Peaceport is in a big competition with all the other good wine, uh, wine villages. I think that Peaceport has a very clear flavor profile and taste profile. It has these flowery notes that all the good vineyards share, I think. You have some well-known vineyards in the Piersport area with Harschen, with Hofberg and Goldtroschen. Would you tell us a bit about the differences between the, the vineyards? Yeah. Häschen is not in Piersport. Häschen is, um, belongs to the village Thron. So we have three different Grand Crus. So this is Häschen, this is Hofberg and this is the Piersporter Goldtröpfchen. All the three they have different types of soil so when we start for example with the Häschen this is close to the Mosel River but it's an east-faced vineyard I think when you go back 50 years it wasn't really possible to harvest their good quality but today we have this climatical change on the Mosel River and it's possible there to harvest or to produce from the scraps elegant low alcohol quality wines it's an old vineyard, uh, uncrafted. The wines are from the early 30s. A steep vineyard with terraces in, so everything is done by hand. It's 100% handwork. And surround is, um, is enough forest. Uh, and this forest is important for the hot summer months. So, for example, now 19 and 18, these were really, really hot summers in our region. And we are thankful to have this forest surround and the forest keep the water. This is the Häschen. It's a small vineyard, it's only a quarter of a hectare, and it's a monopole vineyard, so we are the only owner of it. Then on the other side, the Hofberg area, this is for our winery, the main part. There we have around 4.5 hectares. This is in a side valley. It's not directly situated on the Mosel River, it's in the Thron Valley, on this small river Thron, south, southwest, sometimes, yeah, southwest faced to sun, with a slate which is a little bit more grey and more rocky, with wines which are now, the oldest ones are around 60 years old, but in average the main part is 45 till 50 years old. And then we go to Peaceport. This is from Thron, three kilometers far away. You have to know Peaceport, the Peaceport are back, the, the, the hill, it's, it's a big one. It's, uh, I think it's around 120 hectares in total. So, and there are so many different wineries. The Peaceport hill was replanted in the late 80s, early 90s. 
80% of the vineyards and only a small part, around 20%, wasn't replanted. And we are today happy to have one of these old vineyards. So we have an old vineyard there. The oldest vines are from 1909. Then the other part is from the end of the Second World War. Uncrafted wines deliver rich Riesling juice. How do you, especially for these steepest vineyards, how do you work in the in the vineyards? I, I know that you probably plant a bit closer the, the plants and, and obviously you have to work by hand. Would you tell us a bit about that? At first you need good juice and you have to be a little bit fit. Yeah, you are asking um, about the vines or... Yeah, the vines, maybe especially the, the vines. Do you use the Mosel Heart? Ah, okay, or... this is, yeah. So, yeah, we, we are fans of the Mosel single um, post system for the steeper vineyards. Um, but we also have this new wire system, uh, what you can find everywhere. But the, the special plots, or let me say more, the, the, the steeper plots, which are on terraces, like the Goldtröpfen, like the Häschen, or like in the Hofburg, the terracy place, there we, we are big fans of the, of, the, of the single post system, because with this system you, can, you have a lot of wines per hectare, and this means you have a big competition, competition between the wines, so the roots, they have to go deep into the soil to find the nutrients and of course the water to be alive. I know some years ago you were joined by your sister in uh, the winery. How is it working so closely with your family? Yeah, it's a, it's a family winery. And in 2013, Barbara joined to us. It was necessary that I have one hand more or two hands more because we increased it step by step. And doing five factors, this sounds not so big, but when these are all steep vineyards and a lot of single post, a lot of terracy vineyards, then it is really a lot of work. And um, no, it works, really, of course. It's family. Sometimes we have some trouble, but on the other side, we are happy about this decision. She worked a little bit for Klaus Petter Keller, I know, before coming to you. I've read somewhere, at least. And then now Klaus Petter Keller has taken some interest in the Piersport region with the Schubersley vineyard that he just took over. Do you think that has any relation between your, your sister and Klaus Petter swooping in? No, I think not sure. So what what I have to say, she uh, was in the two Keller estates. We have the Fritz Keller estate in Baden, uh, in the Kaiserstuhl. This is um, on the border to France, so in the southwest of Germany. And then later she was she was in the Klaus Peter Keller estate in Rheinhessen. And now Klaus Peter did the decision to be the owner of the Peaceporter Schubertslei. This is a small part in Peaceport, also with old wines and in former times. So it belonged, still belonged to the Hospizien in Trier. I saw from Klaus Peter taking over the vineyard, the, the bottles coming out of the vineyard went from costing, in Norway at least, 40 euros to costing 500 euros. Do you think that having this uh, sort of famous Rennhessen producer coming to Piersport will lift the prices of the rest of the, the good wines from the Piersport region as well? I think not. So it's really crazy that now someone from Rheinhessen made a Riesling uh, in Piersport and during a short time his wine from Mosel is much more expensive than 
the wines from Egon Müller. So in comparison, for example, I think uh, Egon Müller cabinet was for during the auction more than 100 euro with the same vintage and then the Klaus Peter Keller cabinet was, I think it was more than 500 euro. But we have to say that the amount of the Egon Müller cabinet was huger in total for the auction. But on the other hand, it is good to, to have someone like Klaus-Peter Keller in the region who pushes it a little bit. And competition is a good thing. I was thinking about uh, when I read up on, on your vineyard, I, always, I also came to visit you last year. And some of the names for the vineyard, we've been through a couple of them, but also in Fargarten and in der Sangerei. In Fargarten means the parish garden in, in English and in the sangerei means uh, in the singing room or in the singery kind of uh, is it historical names as well or is it something that you've come up with uh, yourself the far garden this is easy to explain it was in former times um, the garden for the catholic church for vegetables and for fruit and because of this it's it was the garden of of the catholic church and because in our village it's called far garden of and today there's a vineyard and we are today the owner of it. In der Sängerei is an old name. It's a small plot in our hill in Thron, a special place. It's yeah, it's like a little bit like a hole in the hill, like an amphitheater. You have the whole day sun from morning till the evening sun, a weathered slate with a lot of iron and quartz in mixture and old wines and uh, we produced there each year an off-try Riesling. I noticed that you called uh, Goldtroschen and, and some of the other vineyards uh, Grand Cru sites, but there is no Grand Cru designation in the German wine law. However, I know that in both the Grosesgewächst and Groselagen, uh, the VDP is existent, and also there are some changes that are supposed to come in the German wine law. The question maybe is, do you use the designation of Grand Cru yourself, and do you have any thoughts about how the German wine law should be when it comes to Grand Cru's? The Grand Cru's today, they have nothing to do with the German wine law, so... This is a thing of... But should, but should it have something to do with... Should there be a Grand Cru system in the German wine law? We have it, but it is not, it is not official. Yeah, a lot of people, they think that is something official, but it's nothing official. It's from, from the WDP. It's an idea of the WDP. And today, a lot of people think that is, this is something done by the German wine law. We have an old map. This map is, I think, from 18... 68 from the Preussen and they did something official in this time. They had a look to the different vineyards on Mosel, on Saar and on Ruwe and then they made their own classification. They used three colors, red and a more uh, an orange red and then a yellow and uh, the dark red plots. These were for this time the best ones. Today people often take this map and then they say okay these were in former times good vineyards and we think these are today also good vineyards that's true you can do this but you have to know we have a other climate today than more than 100 years ago for example there is the live now lorenzi slide this is 12 kilometers far away from us and 
in this time, 120 years ago, it was not dark red, it was yellow, so not the best vineyard. But today it's a really good vineyard. So what I will say is you can take this map to have an overview, where are the good terroirs, and then you add the time from today with climatical change, and then you have some you have some more vineyards which are today also good, and you have others which were good, and there maybe you have today some some more problems with less water, too much sun, or they didn't exist longer. The VDP designation isn't that old either. I think a lot of people thinking about the VDP with a sort of Burgundian designations, they think that this is something very old that started in the early 1900s when the VDP started. But it, I think the four-tier designations with the Erstelagende, Grosselage slash Grosselgewächst, it started in the year 2000. So it's something that has come in the last 20 years, I think, when the idea of doing a distinction of the vineyards like that. How do you think that that has changed the way of people as a whole looking uh, on German wine? I think the system is, is a good system. It's the easy system. You have the, you, you said it, um, you have the estate wines, the basic, there's the focus more on the grape variety. Then you have the village wines. This is the middle range. And then you have the große Gewächse yeah, and wines. And in France, we have to go to France to explain it. These are the Grand Cru's. This is n nothing new. I have to go back again, 100 years back, when you have bottles from this time before the two world wars. And for example, there was on the label, it was only called Kracher. So Krach was a, is a village behind Bernkastel. They had this system in our area. This was a village wine, that's it. And often there was not a grape variety on the label because it was clear that it's Riesling because they had no other grape varieties. Maybe some really, really old ones which we don't know today. And only the, the best vineyards, let us be again in, in Krach, there was an Abtsberg. Then they write Abtsberg on it. So this is nothing new what the VDP is doing now. It's something, they took something, an old system into the, into the new wine world. Do you think that the German wine law will accommodate that they will try to put uh, the idea of the VDP system into the German wine law as well? No, I think they will do this not. So they, they have other topics, they have other problems because we are talking here about the bottle producers, the good wineries the the high often we are talking about the high-end wines um, but we are talking here not about the mass of the wine which is produced in germany and the flat areas the german wine law they have other topics how to to give them rules to sell this huge amounts better faster or whatever i have a prophecy that uh sweeter and off-dry styles of Riesling will become more and more popular in the years to come. That the, the sweeter ones are in the, in the future more common? Yes, and more popular. Interesting. Because, yeah, interesting. This depends on, on the countries or on the buyers. So here in Norway, we, we sell a lot of dry and off-dry and when you go into other countries, let us say to 
to Taiwan, for example, this is now a little bit exotic. Um, then there it's more more off try and lesser uh, try. Or when you go to the US, there it's more the cabinet wines. At the moment, the hype, and we hope this is not only a peak of a hike, for the cabinets again. But this has something to do with the cabinets are today today are not as sweet as in the late 90s and early 2000s. I think for the, for the cabinets, there is a big chance uh, for the future. Less alcohol, higher acidity, a good minerality in combination with a little bit residual sugar. The reason I think that we are looking at a bigger popularity, especially for the off-dry wines and, and the sort of cabinet styles of wines, is also because of the gastronomy changing a bit. We're using more and more Eastern and, and Asian influences yeah. that has a bit of spice, that has quite a lot of umami, and then you have to find some way to pair it in a good way with, uh, with the wine as well. And then the off-dry wines are very good at pairing with a bit of spice and a bit of uh, and a, quite a lot of umami. Of course, this works really well with a little bit more spicier food or with the Asian food. But it's a little bit unfair when we are talking about Asia and we put it only in one pot. Yeah, then this is unfair. So the the food from the Japanese people is totally different to the food in, in China. For the Japanese food, I think we need more the lighter, more the wines with minerality, not so high in alcohol, dry, but not so high in alcohol. And when there is um, a little bit more fat or and more spiciness, and then works it really good with some off-dry ones and some cabinets and Spätleser. Coming back to your winemaking and uh, your uh, style, do you think that you will continue with the size of the vineyards? Do you want to expand your vineyards more than you have? How do you see yourself in 10 years' time? I'm now 40 years old and we are at home all happy with the vineyards, with the size of our estate at the moment. I think we will not have in 10 years 10 hectares, but... Maybe we have a little bit more than five hectares. Step by step, a little bit more in the Hofburg. In Goldröpfen, this makes not sense because this is a special area. Left and right, is these are younger wines. Um, this means when we buy there more land, then we have a complete other wine. This we don't like. And in the Hästchen, it's not possible. We have the total one. So for us... We have the concentration when we like to increase it, then we increase our estate in the Hofberg area. What is interesting in our winery is at the moment that we have not only Riesling, we had a few years ago a big discussion in the family, okay, is this now our crepe variety, 100% uh, Riesling, or do, you, do we like uh, another one in our estate? Uh, and what is the best one with the Riesling and we decide to to plant now or we plant we planted uh, some Pinot Noir and we bought an old Pinot Noir vineyard so at the moment we have 10% of our of our vineyards are red for some rosé and then in good years for some red ones this is a, a new thing in our a new thing and for the future in our estate if you were to make a picture of the perfect Pinot Noir coming out of your estate, how would it taste? <laughs> a little bit like, like, yeah, 
it is like I have to explain it with the with the, with our rosé. A lot of people they say, okay, when I close my eyes, then I think I I will try riesling, and I think this is the same for the red wine. Acidity in focus, not so too much alcohol because these vineyards are in a cooler place of the Hofburg. Uh, fruitiness, yes, but without sugar and not too much oak. This is what we like to do or what we are thinking, what we can do with, with a Pinot. I'm looking forward to tasting the Pinot Noir. Thank you very much for coming, Andreas Adam of uh, AJ Adam in Piersport.